0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast, increasingly the only source of independent conservative news and views in the political arena. And uh, really, the question is what does it mean to even be a conservative? I think to you guys, it's not really a hard question to answer. I think to most Americans who might not even consider themselves conservative, they understand what it is, and they frankly live lives that are very conservative, but they are not presented at an elite political level with anything that could be described as conservative, so they're turned off and they get involved in the false choices between the two sides and Pick different sides. Some want to just respond to Trump and they're upset with him. So they'll vote straight Democrat and vice versa. And we're going to keep doing this until the end of times. But our agenda here is to ensure that as my gray hair uh, spreads, um, by the time my hair is completely gray, we're not stuck in the same rut, the same false dichotomy, albeit the consequences of the far left policy outcomes will be so much more severe because, as we noted yesterday, they still persist, they still succeed, even when Republicans are in power. And yes, it is Tuesday, and uh, I was originally going to have a guest today, but we're going to have a special guest tomorrow, so we're still going to be solo today. I want to continue on some of the themes from yesterday's show, so if you haven't listened to it yet, you might want to start with that one first. But really, to continue along the theme of what is it that we are conserving? What, it, what, what are we conserving anymore? Someone, and, and I forget who, and I apologize, but one of our listeners sent me a great line that Republicans are essentially progressives driving the speed limit. And that's the title of today's show. They are progressives driving the speed limit. You know, a lot of people tell me, well, Daniel, come on. You can't tell me, that they're like the Democrats. The Democrats are nuts. Like, no, there's got to be a difference. Well, there is a difference in the respect that the Democrats are those guys that look like they're on meth, wild-eyed, driving, you know, 150 miles an hour, like an illegal alien on drugs and and alcohol, you know, crashing into someone. Yeah, they're kind of, you know, driving the speed limit. As Steve Dace, my friend, always says, uh, using their turn signals wherever they can. But they land in the same place. They land in the same place, whether
1: it's health care, Medicaid, entitlements, spending, education, ethanol, cafe standards. The, the role
0: of government itself, the role of the courts, foreign policy, immigration, crime. They land in the same place. Whether they'll be as wild-eyed about it as the Democrats is immaterial to this discussion because they ensure that the Democrats succeed. Often they help them. Sometimes they don't necessarily actively help them, but they enable it, and they certainly don't stop it. And whereas maybe at a given snapshot in time, Democrats might in nominal terms be worse, The Republicans themselves will get you to that destination in six to eight years from now. But then we'll be told that you have to, oh, ensure the Democrats don't win because it will be even worse. And so on and so on. That ratchet keeps turning inexorably in one direction. So first thing we'll start off with today is, is the article we have at a conservative review. Spending for the first 2.5 years of the Trump administration, a little bit more than that, first 33 months to be exact, is 13.2% higher than the equivalent 33 months of Obama's first term. Now, as always, I get these like Amelia Bedelia nerds on Twitter. They'll be like, well, Daniel, it's not exactly the same. Uh, You got to look at the um, spending to GDP ratio. And look, there's different ways of expressing this. And there's different ways of demonstrating that it's not quite as much as the shock value of that title, which is technically true.
1: But they're missing the point.
0: We had under Obama. Just a shocking level of spending. You all remember it. It was a decade ago. It spawned the Tea Party movement. You saw all the signs stop spending uh, prop up throughout the nation. Um, it, we were just shocked by it. it. It was like nothing we've ever seen
1: since World War II. And we, we just couldn't believe it. And here's the deal.
0: You have to remember There might be ways to say that maybe the spending, when you factor in inflation, GDP, it's not quite as devastating, quite as devastating as under Obama. But at the same time, Obama was dealing with 10% unemployment. So if you look at the equivalent 33-month period, so right now we're February, I'm using the first full months of the Trump administration. So February 2017 through October, um, through October, 2019, just last month, we're in the middle of November now, by my calculation, I edited up using the monthly treasury statements, we've spent $11.762 trillion in outlays. If you tabulate February 2009 outlays through uh, the equivalent period, October 2011, it was $10.3 trillion. This is 13.2% higher. Now, I used the way OMB expresses um, constant 2012 numbers to adjust for inflation. It would only be about 3.2% higher. So full disclosure, and I put that in the article. If you factor in inflation, it would be about 3.2% higher. But still, that success, That's conservatism, that's conserving the most shocking period of, of expansion of government under Obama. We're like, okay, well, if, if we're adjusted for inflation, it's only three point two percent higher. And uh, if you compare to G- GDP, maybe it's even a little bit lower.
1: But here's the deal: that's when we had ten
0: percent unemployment. You had all sorts of people on unemployment benefits, which which in itself cost tens of billions of dollars at the time. People were on food stamps, and and you know, obviously, you have all of the factors. You had um revenue was was down enormously so in other words whereas spending is now 13 percent higher in nominal terms compared to that period of time i calculated revenue is now what is this um almost 50 percent more back then it was 6.3 trillion now we're taking in 9.3 trillion the economy is roaring we have three point i mean well we'll see in a minute roaring in a certain way the job market's good. We have 3.6% unemployment compared to Obama's, you know, 10, 9, 10% unemployment. So the notion that in any terms, inflation, GDP, whatever, we would be any close to the most liberal president under the worst recession, 10% unemployment, as compared to under the Trump administration and Republican dominance, trifecta control for the first two years of government with 3.6% unemployment, that is unprecedented. That's the point, that we would have spending at this level, however you express it, whether it's a share of GDP, maybe it would be around, I don't know, 21% um, of, of GDP, or if it's in nominal terms adjusted for inflation, no matter what, how, how you express it, it's unprecedented for a period of virtual full employment what is it we're conserving and yes it is true
1: that the major driver is medicare
0: and social security but that in itself is an indictment of republican control what are we conserving we're supposed to deal with that oh and if we're too scared to deal with that at least we would make a commensurate amount of cuts in medicaid well other welfare and discretionary bureaucracy spending to at least kind of offset that. Meaning one of the two. But what they did is that they 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 blew the spending numbers on everything, except for ICE funding and deportations, by the way. When Republicans had control over two branches of government. That's my broader point. Don't sit and send me these Amelia Bedelia tweets and emails all, well, it's not exactly the same. Well, yeah, in some ways it's, it's not exactly in some ways it's even worse because back then you had 10 percent of the workforce out of out of out of jobs and, and revenue was in the toilet. So it's understanding you'll have deficits like that and, and more, you know, increased spending. What is it? We, what is it we're conserving? You know, even Republicans at their annual retreat, what was the one thing they accomplished in 2017? Tax cuts. They had one more year left
1: of trifecta control.
0: Remember, oh, Daniel, but they They didn't have a filibuster-proof majority. Well, they had budget reconciliation. That's how they passed the tax cuts. They refused to use it. If you remember, we reported extensively on it in 2018. They could have at least done welfare reform. And again, don't blame it on Trump. So then, you know... I'm not going to praise Trump and I'm going to hit him on this. But then other people will use my work and say, oh, this is Trump's GOP. No, Paul Ryan busted the budget caps before Trump did. Trump at least has an OMB director, Russ Vogt, who is pushing hard for spending cuts. At least he put out a budget like that. Now, Trump wound up not sticking by it. But um, if you would have gotten a Paul Ryan type of Republican, they wouldn't have even put that on the table. And Trump administration was very open to welfare reform. Now, ultimately, they didn't push it hard, and certainly Kevin McCarthy, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, all these guys, they promised at the GOP annual retreat in January 2018 to do welfare reform. It was the perfect message to the public. Look, you know, it's tough to do it when you have 10% unemployment, but we, we had record low unemployment, near record low unemployment, dipping below 4%. We could sit and go to the American people and say, look, join the job market. Don't sit on welfare without work requirements. You know, there's one thing when there's a recession. Now there's so many job opportunities. Go and take the job opportunities. You know, you need a paycheck, not a welfare check. Talk about losing suburban voters. You know, suburban voters aren't going to die on the, on the sword of, of more welfare. That's not what they need. That's not what they want. That would have been a perfect message, but no, they did nothing. So, you know, you didn't have to deal even with Medicare and Social Security. At least, if you would have dealt with
1: Medicaid and the other stuff, and 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 that leads me into the next discussion, which is healthcare. What did Republicans conserve?
0: They conserved Obamacare. Remember in 2017, Republicans like Medicaid, we can't cut Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicaid. Republicans had a perfect opportunity to go before the American people and say, look, Medicaid is nothing but lining the pockets of the insurance and healthcare administrator cartel. Seventy five percent of it is administered by um, public, you know, uh, not public, but it's really this quasi private uh, health care administration, managed care. They're getting rich off of it. They're distorting the market. They're creating monopolies off the backs of programs that were supposed to help the poor. It's harming everyone. And then here's another thing. There's so much waste and fraud. Remember, Republicans said, and and Trump himself got into this, waste, fraud, and abuse. And you know what that means. That means you're going to do nothing when you're not going to systemically reform these programs. And you're like, well, we'll go after waste, fraud, and abuse. In other words, you're doing nothing. That's when we said, look, Trump... For all the talk of him being uh, so novel, (laughs) typical GOP establishment talking point. Typical Paul Ryan talking point. But the irony is. When you go and you you shovel it through an through a cartel, you're going to get fraud because they're going to milk it. You, You guys know this if you have elderly parents with Medicare, but it's the same thing with the poor and Medicaid. When there's no accountability, the um, hospitals and insurance companies, it's just one big thing. They just milk it. The hospitals milk the insurance companies. The insurance companies milk the taxpayers. And they'll just bring in 50 people for three seconds to visit a guy who's dying. And they'll charge a million dollars. And then you have so much fraud. Um, there's a Wall Street Journal article. It's really more of an opinion piece. Brian Blaze and Aaron uh, Yellowitz. Medicaid expansion was a key component of Obamacare. In 2014, when the expansion started, the Fed stopped doing audits of states' Medicaid eligibility determinations. And they basically say, our analysis of the CMS report suggests that the expansion appears to have more than tripled the amount of improper spending in the program. 20% or more of Medicaid spending in, in 2019 an amount likely to exceed 75 billion is improper. Before Obamacare the Medicaid improper payment rate was 6%. That's a huge deal. 20% of the entire Medicaid I mean most of it's improper because it's inflated market distorted garbage as we always talk about here. But when they define improper they mean completely fraudulent. It's just totally, you know, fraud. 75 billion. In other words, the fraud. The
1: fraud in Medicaid is the cost of the entire food stamp program, which in itself is, is very expensive. $75 billion. That's
0: what this has wrought. And Republicans refuse to give a conservative vision. As we always said, you want single payer? I'll give you single payer. Patient to doctor. Cut out the middleman. That should have been the rallying cry. Cut out the middleman. Cut out government. Cut out the, the parasitic insurance and healthcare conglomerate cartel. Patient to doctor. Oh, Daniel, what if you're poor? I, I have a whole plan, and um, we'll, we'll put it up here on the screen. You could see here on the screen my article I wrote a few years ago, My Medicaid Solution. What we would do is... I wouldn't even cut a dollar of Medicaid. I would freeze it at what we're spending now. And rather than funneling it through a market distorting government, quasi private racket, I would put it in private um, picture like HSA type of accounts. All Americans would have them. If you can't afford it, we'll freaking give it to you. Again, we're already doing it anyway, but at least let's do it without the market distortion. Real briefly, and I don't mean to get into this um, completely today, because there's other stuff I want to get to, I don't want to focus all on healthcare. But we've said before that what Medicaid needs to be done is, rather than selling it like draconian cuts and this and that, simply run Medicaid like we run food stamps. That's all we ask: give them the money, the same amount. You take the average, and I have the numbers in there. The average we spend on a single, a family, and a disabled, you know, people that are disabled, and you just give it to them in an account. Heck, I'll give them even a little bit more, and you could purchase any any combination of unregulated insurance, which we would get rid of the mandates. um if you're disabled you and pre-existing conditions, it's not that you can't get it. It will be more expensive. so we'll give it at that higher rate, a mixture of dPC at a pocket, whatever you want to do, and you come into a doctor's office, there's no stigma anymore because you have the same mix of whatever private or at a pocket or health-sharing ministry, like anyone else. So you take the stigma off. and um, But here's the deal. You know what else you will cut? The fraud. You might have a little individual fraud, but you regulate these accounts. But it's nothing like massive corporations and nursing homes. I mean, all these stories with Florida nursing homes. Billions of dollars that they milk the Medicaid system. $75 billion dollars. You could cut spending but the message won't be draconian like oh we're taking away from you no we're cutting out the parasitic insurance cartel. We're empowering you to take control of your healthcare. And you know what over time if you did that the prices would tumble everyone would pay at a like you know without a third fourth party so you'd have price transparency let the competition begin and over time you wouldn't need to even do draconian cuts because the amount we would have to fund would go down.
1: This is just a glimpse
0: of one guy in his 30s who by no means is a healthcare expert. That's what conservatism means. But Republicans are like, no, Medicaid. Oh, we love Medicaid. Oh, no. Remember that whole fight in 2017, which is why they wouldn't repeal. One of, one of the reasons they wouldn't repeal Obamacare. So we conserved Obama's baseline spending and added to it. We conserved Obama's Obamacare. We conserved all of his Dodd-Frank and Sarbanes-Oxley and the CAFE standards. Now the Trump administration gave in. They promised to cut it. And look, to his credit, he was willing to fight it. But, you know, we don't have a counter movement fighting as much as the environmentalists are pushing back the other way. If the court's getting involved and we don't fight judicial supremacy, so the few things that Trump is legitimately trying to do, well, you know, judicial supremacy, so that goes out the window. What is it we are conserving? And as we noted yesterday, social issues? Heck, you got Chick-fil-A now joining the Rainbow Jihad. And a lot of that is because at a political level, we don't make the Rainbow Jihad pay a price. We don't fight them rigorously. Republicans don't want to be caught dead. So look, from Chick-fil-A's vantage point, they see one side mobilized. And from a business standpoint, I mean, I'm mean, i saying, I'm not defending them, and I, certainly I'm, I'm done with them. I'm just saying, from a corporate standpoint, you can never be too pro-homosexual agenda, pro-transgender this, pro-criminal this, pro-refugee this, pro-open borders this. The other way they see, you'll get your head bitten off, but there's no counter movement.
1: That's where we are.
0: What is it we're conserving? You know, I talked yesterday about the fact that the very Republicans that are responsible for this, when we finally get a primary challenger, the establishment gets Trump to endorse the bad guy and no one's fighting for the guy. Garland Tucker is challenging uh, Tom Tillis a total progressive in, in North Carolina. And uh, one of our listeners, Steve, thanks for your help on this, sent me, uh, he said, hey, you didn't mention this, so I'm mentioning it today. Last October, CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, literally an arm for Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood, unindicted co-conspirator in a terror finance trial. They had their 24th anniversary. I guess this year was their 25th. And a bunch of congressmen wrote letters, you know, praising them, marking their anniversary. Everyone, it was about 100 of them, was a Democrat. There was one, one Republican, Senator Tom Tillis. Uh, you can see I'm pleased to extend my best wishes to everyone gathered at the Council of American and Islamic Relationship, uh, Relations. Religious freedom is foundational to the American system of government and has rightly been called our first freedom. Our nation proudly cherishes the freedom of religion where all all are free to peaceably practice, teach, observe their face, and fund terrorism. Oh, whoops, he didn't say that. Um, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) again, put your turning signal on, drive the speed limit, land in the same place the Democrats landed. And Trump's supporting him.
1: Trump probably doesn't even know about this.
0: What am I supposed to do? Why should I get hyped up about this? And and you know friends, what really scares me about what's happening and I'm going to be a little cryptic here. Some of you might know what I'm referring to. I know some of you have emailed me about this. But a fear that I have and I think some of you have is that we're headed to Europe's style of politics. And what I mean by that is Europe has, and, and this has been that way for quite some time, where they have a left that is essentially communist, de civilization, no borders, you know, multiculturalism to the nth degree. And then you have a right that is in response to some of those de civilization things but it morphed into nothing but just an ethnocentric um kind of white nationalist parties even neo-nazi parties they're not for limited government a lot of them aren't even so much for traditional biblical values more than maybe traditional cultural values which we might agree with when framed properly and sometimes we'll ally with i mean you know whatever but That's not what we want American conservatism to be, if you know what I mean. In other words, we don't want America to be, let's say, Germany. You have the um, Social Democrats. You have the Christian Democrats. A lot of people don't realize Angela Merkel's party is not the left party. It's the conservative party. So you have two left-wing parties and then a bunch of, like, I don't know, like some neo-Nazi types. And well, where does that leave normal people? You don't have that in Europe anymore. Are we headed in that direction in America where because none of the conservative intellectuals in this country have given a vision for what conservatism means, or if they have, they haven't demonstrated how and when to fight for it? So, the few either people just get caught up into the conservative establishment, which is nothing more than click servitism in a money making machine, or they're so disgusted by it, they just respond. Um, Emotionally, in in a in in more of a responsive fashion, and not a proactive affirmative fashion. Here's what I believe: it's more like I'm gonna do things just to react, 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 react. So I'm gonna start coddling certain people and certain ideas that that aren't really good. In in other words, like let me give you a straight up example: Uh, Tucker Carlson. Tucker has. You know, really more than anyone, most people has introduced some good dialogue into this debate, much needed dialogue on a lot of issues. But what he's done is because on paper, the past corporate libertarian conservative intelligentsia has been associated more with fiscal ideas, and they've thrown everything else under the bus, he's like, you know what? In some ways, I'll adopt elizabeth warren's fiscal ideas and you know fight on crime and immigration and yada yada (laughs) but it's a false dichotomy because i mean as we noted the paul ryan's were perfidious on fiscal issues as they were on immigration and and the homosexual agenda and yada yada they didn't i mean if you understand true free marketness like like the way we explain healthcare and spending it fits seamlessly with our views and cultural issues and it's very easy to give over to the people. It's something they, they feel we need to, you know. So I, I don't need this European style right. But I'm just telling you, that is what's going to happen if we don't seize our own destiny. We live in an era full of false dichotomies, full of reacting to the reaction of the reaction, where no one feels comfortable in their skin. Explain to me what it is you want on a given issue, divorced from what your political opponents are doing it might be valid to address what they're doing and we certainly do that but you should be able to give a vision of what you believe in without saying what i don't like about someone else
1: that's what we try to do here but that's my concern
0: that a lot of people that think more or less like we do are rightfully looking at the conservative movement in its um, established way. And they're saying, wait a minute, what are you conserving anyway? So they're like, you know what? I don't need this conservatism. I'll find this nationalist populist or, and and I'm not so into labels. I don't care so much about labels. Sometimes it's semantics. Um, But, you know, people are going to start doing what I call ideological log rolling where, well, because he's like that and I want to be like this. So I'm going to start adopting you know, some of these alt-right people with the anti-Israel stuff and the, you know, just, oh, you know, they're being black supremacists and there's a war on whites, which, look, you know, I, I will not shy away from that. I will call it as it is. There is a unrelenting war on whites and the established conservative movement has failed to confront it in a legal sense, in a policy sense. Um, I, I'm not going to shy away from that. And, and you know, I don't hear. But you'll have people that will then take it, okay. Well, you want to be uh, you know, ethnic centrism, so I'll respond with my own white identity stuff. Well, no, let's just cut all the crap out and actually, you know, um have true uh equality in terms of life, liberty, and property under the law. But unfortunately, we don't really have conservative figures and organizations to look at as a paradigm for this. So again, people are going to be caught up in a lot of false choices, the rubber band effect. Here on this program, you can count on me to be steady Eddie. We're always going to drive down that center lane. That's the irony. I mean, you could laugh, but I've always considered myself a a centrist. A centrist means someone who is balanced. In other words, you have to take all sorts of factors and you balance them together. You can't be like, hey, I'm so worried about my image. I'm going to have this culture of Throwing anyone on the right, I don't like under the bus to virtue signal in front of the left-wing media, so I'm going to accept it as a respectable conservative. Right? It is a true statement that when you start just silencing everyone, they're going to come for you anyway. But it's also true at the same time. You can't like go to the other extreme, like, hey, anyone who you know, is just totally into the Holocaust denial or whatever, I'm just going to embrace them, because I don't want to start a precedent of you know shunning anyone because then it's you know just going to fuel this it's going to fuel the the, the left some um, game of of silencing people you got to balance everything everything is a balance um heck i could write a book on that it's it's true of religion it's true of culture it's true of everything the lost art of balance everyone has to be part of a cult um but i think the silent majority not just of republican voters and people who identify as conservatives but i really think the silent majority of certainly suburban families in america believe in most of what we believe in in this program this audience but it's just never been expressed that way and um you know you have these false choices and a great example of how we're not conserving things and how we're giving in to the left creating false choices that need not happen is the issue of crime. The issue of crime. We're going to talk about this more tomorrow with um, a special guest from the Manhattan Institute that's covering crime in New York. One of the few people like myself that's covering jailbreak. But this is a great example. I want to read to you. um, The Daily Caller Foundation has an article out from last week. Dem prosecutors fear for suburbs safety as radical district attorneys fueled by Soros Cash take control and they show how even democrat these were democrats but you know they were prosecutors so you know they i don't know maybe they're pro-abortion i don't know maybe they're um you know i don't know for higher taxes maybe but they at least understand the need for law and order and um basically the story here is you know, what we're doing is not working where Republicans are to the left of Democrat prosecutors. So what do we have here? This is from the Daily Caller again. Radical social justice activists will serve as the top prosecutors for three major Washington, D.C. suburbs, including two of the wealthiest counties in the U.S. after George Soros' political action committee poured $2.1 million into into ordinarily sleepy races. In Virginia's Fairfax and Arlington counties, the reformer attorneys ran on platforms far to the left of the Democrat incumbents, beating them in primary races before ultimately winning the general elections. In both cases, the incumbents expressed concern for public safety if the Soros-backed candidates took control. They also said the activists were pushing a national platform about racism and over-incarceration that had no basis in reality in the affluent liberal jurisdictions. And mind you, The American Conservative Union Foundation or Criminal Justice Foundation put on this conference two weeks ago and you could scroll through their tweets. You go to the ACU uh, Criminal Justice, just type that into Twitter, scroll down their tweets. And it's literally what Democrat prosecutors are warning about the Soros prosecutors. These guys agree with it. The race and over incarceration, they say the same crap. We have the conservative movement, all of them. Any conservative organization, I was the last human being fighting this on the right. They have, they have accepted this. Look at what that has taken off the table. Look at the issue and the confusion that has created. After losing the Democrat primary to Soros-backed Steve Discano, Fairfax's longtime prosecutor, Ray Morrow, warned his fellow party members that safety could be at risk if they elected Discano in the general election. He quit the party to endorse Jonathan Faye, an experienced prosecutor who was running as an independent, to try to avert a Descano victory. Quote, Descano is completely unqualified for the Office of Commonwealth Attorney, Morrow said in a video. The only case he tried, he disgraced himself when the judge reversed the conviction because he lied in closing argument. Uh, This man is not fit to hold office in Fairfax County. I've dedicated 36 years of my life to keeping you safe in Fairfax County, and I've never asked for anything, but I love my country, I love this country, and I believe in public safety. I'm asking you to vote for Jonathan Faye for all the victims in this country. It's a Democrat. But Democrat prosecutors, I think, are where even most Democrat voters are. But here's what happened. Descano narrowly beat Morrow in the primary after receiving $400,000 from Soros. Morrow raised just $250,000 with no one donor giving more than $10,000. Who's the Republican turned independent? Told the Daily Caller News Foundation. The weird thing is, listen to this. As a result of Soros pouring money into low turnout primaries, center left voters are unquestionably more closely aligned to the Republican candidates than they are these radical challengers. If the citizens were informed, they never they would never vote for this. But he goes on to explain that people just went in and voted for party ballots. They tell themselves they're somehow sticking it to Donald Trump by voting for some. Someone unqualified to be a local prosecutor. They want to make a stand, but it's like you have a chance to do to do that. And it's 2020 and it's self-destructive how Trump kind of owns a Democrats' mentality. We have right we we have a world right now where the president picks the U.S. attorneys and George Soros picks the state, top state prosecutors. And that's a scary world to live in. Quote, the Dem politicians don't actually want it to happen, but they're afraid to stand up to it because they don't want to be the next one primaried. And the Republicans, listen to this, and the Republicans, I don't know why they aren't willing to put resources into pushing back on this. I know why, because they agree with it. Here's the thing. And this is not just for saving criminal justice and defeating source attorneys. This is saving Trump and Republicans in
1: general. Republicans have a problem. Suburban
0: voters have soured on Trump. Okay? Certainly the center-left ones, but even the center-right ones, and that's, that's the problem. How do you win them back? Well, it's tough. Everything is very politicized now, even things that they previously wouldn't have supported. It's the ideological log rolling, so they'll take the opposite stance just because of Trump. But suburban voters, I've been saying this, they don't want this insanity. But they don't know what's happening. It's happening quietly. You guys didn't even know before some of us and and myself, we started talking about it. It's, It's buried in the news. Why? Because typically when one side does something so revolutionary, so extreme, the other side will just expose it and hit it. And that will generate a point of contention that will generate conflict and it will generate headlines. But what has happened is because Republicans and conservative libertarian organizations actually agree with it and are pushing it. And even the parts that maybe are too extreme for them, but because they generally agree with the premise, they're not going to push back. You're not seeing the Willie Horton ads. You're not seeing them pounding them. So you're getting this weird result where suburban voters are voting for like these like nutcases, but they wouldn't otherwise do that. Meaning this it started in the urban areas. But, but it's happening in the suburban areas because Soros is, is getting it in the primaries and then in the general election they hate Trump so they're just going to vote straight Democrat. But this is the way to win them back. What are we conserving? Nothing. We are worse off on immigration. We're worse off on crime. We're worse off on spending. We're worse off on healthcare. Those are the civilization issues.
1: Sure as heck are worse off on social values.
0: But it doesn't have to be this way. Precisely because the left is so extreme and out of step, if we had a movement that would provide a bold contrast and speak the truth to these issues, you would have a chance to win even with voters being upset with Trump. Anyone will tell you, anyone involved in political science, polling, even the legacy media, the the liberal media, you'll see plenty of articles on this. The voters are very uncomfortable with Elizabeth Warren and these people and where they're headed. And ultimately, when it winds up being one of them versus Trump, mano a mano, and it's very clear, maybe they'll come back to Trump. But for now, with the midterms, when there's these, these sleepy local races that don't have much of a brand to them, they're going to vote against Trump. But, they, but it's not that, that every
1: suburban voter has all of a sudden become Antifa.
0: Where they love MS-13 and they love criminals. That's just not true. These hoity-toity people living in Arlington that, that these women who go to their yoga every night, um, <laughs> they sure as heck don't want this crap in their neighborhoods. They might get involved in a certain amount of virtue signaling, not when it costs them their lives. That is the weak point in the democrat coalition that's building that's what a normal party would attack but we can because the organization among many others that puts on the so-called conservative annual political action committee um conference of record supports it supports the Soros agenda my friends
1: what is it we are conserving you know what's so funny these knuckleheads think,
0: I'm um, Daniel. Ah, uh, okay. We're going to give up all the suburban voters by being weak on crime, but we're going to get some urban voters and we're going to get the black vote because they're going to see that we love criminals. And again, it's stupid anyway. Not only are you trading voters that are eminently gettable for voters that really are very hard to get. They're not going to vote for you. But anyway, most blacks aren't criminals, right? Uh, There's an overwhelmingly much higher rate of crime among blacks than than other demographics. But it's still not a majority of them. It's nowhere near majority of them. Um, And they're the ones harmed first by jailbreak. I could speak forever about that in my hometown of Baltimore. All I mean, it hurts the suburbs and with the carjackings and everything. But the dead bodies are all blacks. Um, so it's stupid. But anyway, what you're doing is by letting out all these felons, you're creating the, the, the Soros Antifa army. Look at this. New York Post free drug suspect praises bail reform and endorses Cuomo for president. Cuomo got this guy's vote. An alleged Bronx drug pusher facing nearly 100 years behind bars um, gave Andrew Cuomo a glowing endorsement Thursday when he walked free as a as courts tried to get a jump start on the, state de- the state's bail reform law. Cuomo for president, Jose Catano Jorge uh, crowed in Spanish as he left the Manhattan Supreme Court without plunking down a penny in bail. Jorge, 47, had been held without bail while facing up to 96 years on charges of selling a controlled substance and conspiracy um, because he basically, someone, um, he killed a guy um, with a fentanyl-laced heroin and he's charged with his murder. But now he can walk the streets for the duration of his trial, um, as he was leaving, he supposedly told um, one of the uh, this um, female New York Post reporter outside, "I beat blanks up like you." Um, so that's that's real nice, according to the New York Daily News. They had a different variation of this the lawyer for this Jorge guy tried to hush him up as he was like yelping in Spanish about Cuomo for president. And he said, it's in my heart, bro. It's in my heart. I got to say it. Exactly. There's a lot of things that that's in the hearts of career violent criminals.
1: In their insufferable, incorrigible hearts. And you
0: ain't going to get that out of there. One of the things that's not in their hearts is to vote Republican. Jared Kushner stood before Republican donors in Jackson Hole, Wyoming at a retreat in August and said that, you know, his stupid jailbreak reform is going to, uh, is going to result in more Republican votes. So again and again. We have another case out today with this guy who, who was wanted for two stabbings in a project in 1997, April 1997. Cops showed up. He uh, shot eight, eight um, rounds at them, hitting, uh, striking one officer in the chest three times. Luckily, he had the um, bulletproof vest worked. So I don't think he was really injured. I'm assuming he wasn't. So he was charged with robbery, attempted murder, all sorts of things. And back then, we actually at least made people serve a modicum of time. He should have gotten life, but he got 20 years at least. A guy like that wouldn't get 20 years. he would get like five. Um, but he was out in 2017. And now he was picked up again on weapons and drugs. Violent guy. He was let out, despite this history,
1: $5,000.
0: Imagine if we had a movement, a party, in every local and federal race, banging away at jailbreak,
1: banging away at sanctuaries.
0: I think enough suburban voters would weigh that and weigh their dislike for Trump's personality and they'd
1: say, look, nothing motivates people like their own safety. That's my own two cents.
0: It doesn't have to be that way. There's a lot we can conserve. We can conserve our public order. We can conserve our values. We can conserve our true free markets, not fake free markets. We can conserve, I would say conserve our healthcare system, but there's nothing to conserve. You have to go much farther back for that. We can conserve our national sovereignty and language and borders. And we can do it all without creating some sort of alt-right, whatever people want to call that. But as long as we don't do that, we're going to have false dichotomies. That's my warning to you, and mark my words, it will come true. If something doesn't change, but I need your help, I need you to keep sending me your ideas, your stories, your forgotten um, news reports on jailbreak sanctuaries, any other issue that you would like us to cover here. I have a limited amount of minutes in the day, so there's a certain you know there's there's just a lot more I would want to do. If I had a team of fifteen people, I would do so much more, giving a vision on so many more issues, exposing so much more. But I'm a team of one for now. So, uh, (laughs) you know, I need I need your help. I need you guys to join this, not just as a show to listen to on your way to work, on your, you know, doing a hobby at home, uh, uh, cooking, exercising, but also to be part of a movement. And, um, you know, I'm not looking to make a name for myself and just splash headlines within a year. I'm looking to gradually build an enduring movement. It's untainted. It's also relentlessly consistent and aggressive. What that looks like, I'm still open to your ideas, but we first have to understand that what we are doing now is not working because we are conserving nothing but George Soros's political outcomes. Till tomorrow, thank you very much for listening.